Good evening. We're continuing the Talmud series. If I remember correctly, we're number 40. This should be number 40 or 39. Follow the name on the website, you'll know what it is. Uh, we are in Masechet Baba Metziah. If you remember, there are three gates when it comes to financial issues in the Talmud. We have Baba Kama first, Baba Metziah is the middle, and Baba Batra, which is coming next, it's the third and last one. Out of the three, which actually had to be one Masechet, was divided to three different Masechetok, or it will be too long. Uh, last week, we spoke about uh, a recommendation of the Gemara for a person to have a third of his money always in his hand in case of an emergency. He will need the money, so a third of his money he puts on the side, which means he has access to it at any time. A third in real estate, which means either he owns a house or he invests in real estate, but a third of his money. And a third in merchandise, buying and selling, which means quick cash. So really, typically what it means that if you have money, right, it's good to have one business who brings you cash every day, like a retail store, any kinds of a store, plus long-term investment, buying building, I mean, buildings, houses, renovating and selling, that's called real estate, but it takes time until you see money. And then always saving that you have access to. If you close it on a CD in a bank for five years, that's not really access to, because you, you, can, you cannot touch it. I don't know what's the rules. Maybe you need two weeks notice until they give you the money. When I mean access means from now to next minute. If something happens, you have to take the money in a bag and run. This is what it means. That's what last week's end of the lecture. Then the Gemara says, also, also one last thing we spoke about. If a person ordered merchandise, right, and he got it, he took it, it was delivered, or he picked it up, even though he did not pay for it yet, right? He, he cannot cancel the deal because once you took it out of the position of the seller, it came to your hands, to your position, to your truck, whatever, then you're the owner of it. Even though you didn't pay for it, you owe him the money. Uh, but what happened if you paid? You send the money and you say, I'll pick up the merchandise tomorrow or next week, right? So you can still cancel the deal. Legally, you can cancel the deal because you never received the merchandise. However, if you do it, expect a punishment from Hashem. How can it be? It's allowed, but you still get punished. The answer is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't like people who promise something and don't keep the words. As the Torah says, keep what came out of your mouth, make sure you keep it. Don't be uh, deceiving, don't be lying, etc., etc. As many sentences in the Torah speaks about it. So the Gemara used this, ex this interesting expression, the one who punished the generation of the flood in the time of Noah, 4,200 years ago, and the generation of Dora Pelaga, which was when they built the Migdal Bavel and all these things, which was even before. And from Sodom and Gomorrah, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And uh, the, the nation of Egypt, Pharaoh and his nation. He is going to punish someone who doesn't keep his words, doesn't keep what comes out of his mouth. This is where we end last week. Comes the Torah and say, 
לא תונו איש את עמיתו. Do not deceive one each other. Every time the Torah used the, ver- the term עמית, עמיתו, in English you translated colleagues. It's like a few people works in the same business, same, same company, so you say my colleagues. What does it mean? We are one team. That means when the Torah say Ishet Amito means Jewish people only. Not that it's allowed to deceive Goim. It's also not allowed, and there's a separate verse for it. But right now the Torah speaks about Ishet Amito, one each other. Or when the Torah say Achicha, your brother, right? That means we're talking between one Jew to another Jew. Uh, or, you know, there's uh, uh, all kinds of expressions that from there we learn that the Torah only speaking from Jew to Jew. If it's general speaking, like you should not kill, doesn't say who, that means anyone. Jews, non-Jews, no permission to murder. You murder, it doesn't matter, it's a big sin. So or you should not steal. Doesn't say you should not steal from Jews or from your brother or from Amitecha. You should not steal, you're not allowed to steal from anyone, even from a non-Jew. We spoke about it many times in the past, but just to refresh our memory. So then the Torah says, do not deceive one each other. The one, here comes the Gemara and say even clearly, the ones who is your colleagues to, to keeping the mitzvot, keeping the commandments, you should not deceive him with words. Don't cheat him, don't lie to him, don't mislead him. Don't say something that may give him the wrong impression and he thinks it's good and in the end he's going to lose money, etc., etc. Amarav, a person should always be very careful of deceiving his own wife. That's even worse than anything else. Why? Because once you do it, she's very sensitive, she's going to cry and your punishment will be tremendous. Amarav uh, once brought in a different place a, a story of a person who was late one hour from learning. Well, I'm not talking someone was sitting in a bar drinking beers with his friends after work. We're not talking someone went to, I don't know, to, to make a scene and came back at midnight, like some of the religious Jews in this area are doing, sitting with the friends drinking and smoking and going to make scenes with other women in some dirty places. We're not talking this kind of wicked people who thinks they are religious, but they are the worst wicked people on earth. We're not talking about this kind of people. We are talking someone was sitting in the yeshiva and learning out of love to Hashem, out of love to the Torah. Well, there was no telephones in those days. If he lived in our time, all he had to do is call his wife and say, with your permission, I want to stay an extra hour in yeshiva today. If she agreed, fine. Obviously, he couldn't do it. To go and tell her, it doesn't make sense to come back again, because, you know, we're talking distance here. So he was hoping that his wife would be okay with that, and she cried. She was worried because she knew her husband always came on time home. That time he was late, she cried, and he died. Why the Gemara brings this story? To teach us Kalva Homer. You know what Kalva Homer means? Needless to say. If a righteous person who gave his life for Hashem to the Torah, and learn, uh, he only, all he wanted to do is to do a little bit more mitzvot for an extra hour, but it came on the expense of his wife. She was crying, she was upset. It's already a, th- a, a, a serious reason for him to get punished. Like Mara told it to us, to teach us it's needless to say if you go and waste your time on nonsense. 
If you make her upset for nonsense, then it's completely, there's nothing to talk about. Even for such an important cause, it still does not justify. Unless if you tell her in advance, do you mind today I'm gonna come instead of eight at nine? I have uh, more learning to do. Or, you know, or in our time it's easy because we always have a phone. You call and you communicate in any given moment, it makes life a lot easier. Then the Gemara continues, A person has to be very, very careful with the respect of his wife. Not enough just to love her and have desire for her. And you know, and if she becomes sick, so he sits and cries next to her bed in a hospital. That's normal. I'm talking now every minute, every minute of the life, every conversation, every 10 minutes, every five minutes, going shopping together, picking up the kids, doing things for each other, communicating in a house, cleaning together, exchanging money, whatever. There's tons of things to do together every day. Everything must be like you're, like you're dealing with the president of the world. Even though you got used to her, 10, 20 years she's serving you, so obviously she's not as important to you to start respecting her like you meet the chief rabbi of the world. Because you got used to her, no. There's no permission to get used to your wife, which means you have to respect her just like in the first day when everyone is pretending, you know, ah, cars like this, pretending he's a gentleman, opening the car, next day sends flower, all this show off. 20 years later, it has to stay the same. Shenemar, the Torah says, because the blessing of a man after he gets married doesn't come from him anymore, it comes from his wife. I can show you many, many cases of people who were complete losers in their life. But from the minute they got married, everything turned around. All of a sudden, he's a hard-working man, serious, making money, expanding, buying, wife is supporting, children, harmony, whatever. Sometimes the wife can destroy the house, especially the wives of today, when there's no modesty and all they want is just to enjoy and have fun, like they say in America. It comes on the expense of the family. But well, we are not talking about kosher people here. This is an advice to kosher people. Someone is not a human being, first he has to be a human being. You gotta stop being an animal and start being a human being. And then the next step, you're giving this ethic advice and musar. First, if he behaves like an animal, what are you gonna tell the, uh, the fox in a safari? Hey, you have to be a gentleman. He's an animal, what does he know? You understand? So. Well, how do we know the blessing of the man comes from the woman? There's a verse in the Torah that all the good Abraham received came thanks to Sarah. What's the message here? If Abraham was a wicked person and Sarah was a righteous person, then it wouldn't teach us anything. Of course the blessing comes thanks to her. She's a righteous woman. So Hashem sends whatever they have, it's thanks to her. But when you talk to huge righteous people, why does the Torah have to say that all his blessings come from his wife? Why? It's not good enough? The, one of the legendary people in history, Abraham, Ibrahim, Abraham, you, can, you call him the way you want. Everybody knows who he is. It wasn't important enough to have blessing, to have wealth, to have health, to have whatever he had. The Torah had to, to emphasize all his blessings come from Sarah? Yes. So that shows that you and your wife can be equally 
in the same spiritual level, or even you, even higher sometimes, right? Which in our case, Abraham, but still you should know the blessing come from your wife. You know, the Zohar, which is the mystical parts of Judaism, the Kabbalah, the Zohar say that there is a direct connection with the way the woman, the way the woman dress and behave to, the, to her husband's living, financial situation. What's the connection between if she dress with pants or with short skirts or open sleeves or whatever the way women dress today, why it's affecting her husband's money, why? Because in heaven, there is a tree, and there is a root, and there's this branch, and then there's uh, all these uh, uh, you know, uh, branches coming out, and, uh, and the leaves. So it's like it's the same, uh, it's, uh, it's like, an, uh, like, uh, an, like analogy. It looks, looks like a spiritual tree. And in one of these branches, there are two things coming from the same branch. What is it, the wife? The, the, and the money, the modesty of the wife and the money, they are all in the same branch, which means there's a direct connection between them. The more modest the wife is in her behaving, in her talking, in her walking, in her speaking, in her dressing, and how she behaves in general, the more blessing a person has in the money that he makes. First, he can make more, and plus he's going to have blessing in the money. Many people make fortune, but they don't have blessing. It goes to lawyer, it goes to their son, addiction in drugs, it goes to all kinds of problems, and, law, and this surgery and that, and they lost in a bar, they bought a house, and something went wrong, and the insurance problem, the car got stolen, they were not insured. They make so much, their employees still in their business. It seems from the outside that these people should have millions of dollars, but in reality, they're much close to zero. Why? There's no blessing in her money. And I know a few people like this. So, if the woman is not modest, it's affecting her husband's parnasa. Now you may come and say, I know women that forget to get dressed, and the husband makes millions. So where, where, what's going on here? The answer is, if he, she would get dressed properly, he would make billions. And it's not a joke. Whatever you see he makes, he should have made 10 times more or 100 times more. She is definitely affecting his parnasa. When he comes up to heaven, to the court of heaven, and find out how much money he lost from allowing his wife to dress the way she is, he will feel very, very foolish. How did I let it happen? I did so much to save a dollar here, five dollars there, cutting here, cutting there, always trying to, to save as much as I can, being stingy, shining lights, uh, 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 killing myself the whole Shabbat without air condition to save another ten dollars. And in the end, I lost millions of dollars just because she was dressed like this. Not only that a normal husband will never let his wife be attractive to other people in the street, because that means he's a very foolish person. Doesn't show that he's a smart person, because a smart person that has something precious, he doesn't throw it in the street for everybody to come, touch, and look at that. He wants it for himself. You want your wife to, uh, to share you with another thousand uh, guidos on the street? What do you want exactly? So if you're normal, you'll never let it happen, regardless of religion, even if there was no religion in the world. Forget religion. Just uh, we're in an island somewhere. And I know that the men looking at my wife and they're thinking bad things. Forget religion now. What the first thing as a normal human being, I will tell them, put a big sack around you. I don't know what. Every time you come, that they're not going to be able to, to look and, and think bad. Why? Well, it bothers me. 
But today, not only it doesn't bother them, they encourage their wife, go, go, be an actress. Go, be a model. Go, very good. <laughs> Everything is the opposite. Here is the source. This is Maran Bala Metziah. Then the Gemara say, Rama Rava, if you respect and honor your wives, which means not only to treat them nice, to give them whatever you can afford, it will be a great investment because it will bring you wealth. You want to be rich? Make sure your wife is happy, she's comfortable with you, she's not complaining. She, she, my, my husband is great, you're a great person, you're improving, I love it. She's happy. Now remember, I'm not talking the psycho we, wives that we have that eight hours a day she want to be on a mall and burn money. If you marry with a wife like this, <laughs> basically your life is over. I'm not talking this kind of uh, marriages. Talking a wife, nobody's perfect. She has own, uh, her ups and downs, one day better, one day less. You gotta learn how to work with that. Then Tanu Rabbanan, the Gemara says, Lo tonu ishet amito. Do not deceive one each other. What does it mean, do not deceive? How you deceive a person? The Gemara say with words or with money. There's two kinds of deceiving. Deceiving, cheating him with a merchandise, giving him something fake and a price of a reel or what they call it, refurbished. How is the phone? Oh, brand new from the factory, don't worry. You can't tell the difference. Refurbished is $100, brand new it's $400. And he sell it to him brand new. They clean, they, they replace the glass, no scratches, like all these uh, hocus pocus cellular companies. You never know what you get over there. And what happened is that's deceiving. But here it's deceiving with money, because you're actually stealing money from him with this trick. Okay? So the Gemara says, when you sell merchandise to your brother, which means to a Jew, or buy from him, or buy from him anything, right? So we hear from here, from here we learn that the, the, the Torah meant money, deceiving with money, not with words. So there's another verse, here it says when you do, when you do business, buy and sell. Over here in another place it says, without describing how. One time it describes how not to deceive when you buy and sell. And one time you just say in general, do not deceive each other. Two different verses, right? Here, when it's general, speaking about all kinds of tricks that a person does with his mouth. For instance, if it was a Baal Tshuva, a Jew that used to be wicked and now became a tzaddik, Shomer Shabbos, dress properly, kippah, tzitzit, watch his eyes, don't steal anymore. If he was working in a bad business, he moved. He got a different job because he doesn't want to make scenes. He used to work in a village in Manhattan. Now he work in Mea Sharim in Yerushalayim. So his whole life has changed. Now somebody like this, right now you look at him, it's very impressive with the way he behaves and the way he lives. But you remember how he was five, six, ten years ago. Still remember, you have that image when he had the earring and the ponytail and all his tattoos all day spending on the beach and making scenes over there. Now you, you still have two images, this holy man and despicable human being in the same face. So what's going on here? So you may come and say to him, hey, what is this? You forgot who you used to be. You're telling us what needs to do, what now? You're giving us lecture here. 
this is good, this is not good. You already forgot what you used to be. That's a big sin. Not allowed. Now, we're not talking here when you're in front of people. If you're in front of people, that's already another sin. That's a malbin pner chavero barabim. You embarrass a person in public, you have no share to the world to come. It's a very serious problem. It's like shofech damim. It's like cutting his face and blood comes out. That's, that's what it equals to. We are now talking that you and him alone. You never dare to embarrass him in front of people. He's your roommates now in yeshiva. And you say, hey, you're telling me what to do? You forgot who you used to be five years ago. Then, oh, and now you may think, well, it's between me and you. You know who you used to be, and I know. So what's the point? Not allowed to do it. Or if it's a convert. No, if it's a son of a convert. He was already born as a Jew biologically. We're talking his father was a goy and converted, and he comes and says, hey, you forgot where you came from? Your father used to be Chris. Now all of a sudden your father became Yitzchak. What are you telling us what to do? Don't ever forget where you came from. This is not permitted. Or remember how your father used to do these things. Now all of a sudden he became a tzaddik. Things like this not permitted. Or he say to him a mouth. The Gemara give all kinds of everyday examples, scenarios. A mouth that used to eat dead uh, animals and all the trefot, all the non-kosher things and worms and all the dirt on earth, a pork, whatever, he comes now to talk words of Torah? How can it be this mouth that a year ago was eating pork like a pig himself now comes to talk divrei Torah? There's people who pinch like this, right? So, or, or if the person has suffering, you see a friend have suffering, or he's sick, or he's burying his children, lo alenu. Don't come and say, like the people, like your friends came to him and started to tell him all kinds of things to hurt his feeling. You're not allowed to tell him, oh, you're probably paying for that sin that you made. Oh, you're probably paying for your sin. You know, don't add salt on his wound or, or extra oil to the fire. The person is already broken with his situation. You don't come, oh, you know why your son died? Because you did such and such to that person. Now this is how God paying you back. Not allowed to do these things. Or if people come to buy from you merchandise, let's say you're a farmer, you're selling wheat by weight. He cannot say, go to Reuven, he's selling wheat. Knowing he doesn't, he never sold wheat, just to get rid of him. Let's say you, wanna, you don't want to sell him or it's sold already, or whatever, you want to get rid of him. So how you deceive him? You say, oh, you know where you can get? You can go to that street, and you know the store is out of business, but you pretend you don't know. Or you know they don't have that merchandise. You were there in the morning, so they don't have. Oh, you know where you're going to get it? In that supermarket. Why? Because you want to get it either for yourself, or you don't want to sell him, or whatever the case may be. So you trick him. Go over there, you'll get it. They sell it cheap over there. You understand? Uh, Rabbi Yehuda says, don't go into a business, pretend you come to buy when you know you don't have the funds available. You don't have it in your pocket right now. You're not allowed to go into the store and tell him, can I try that suit on? Maybe I like it. I want to buy a suit. I want to buy this. I want to, can I test from this chocolate? Maybe I want to buy, like some people do. 
they go all day to places that they serve samples, right? They serve samples, and uh, that's how they eat all day over there, pretending they're customers. They only give it with hope that thanks to you tasting, you become their customer. But if you know, you know you're not going to buy, there's no permission to eat from there. Unless if you tell them in advance, I can buy, but can I still eat? I cannot buy it, but can I, can I still try on? Now, at least he doesn't have hopes. It's very, very big disappointment from the person who works in a business, especially in our days when they make commission, that he wasted half an hour with you, giving you all kinds of things. You try it on, this, that. And in the end, say, OK, sorry, maybe I'll come another day. It's too expensive. Then you know what happened. No, no, come, I'll give you 20% off. Come, no, no problem. You can buy, you can give me two checks. He's dying to make the sale. But there was no chance in, 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 to begin with, but he doesn't know it. So when you leave the business, you make him very disappointed. And really, it was all deceiving. Because it really wasn't his fault. It was your fault. You couldn't afford. So that's called tricking and deceiving. And the Torah says, You should fear your God. Not he doesn't know that you tricked him. You just think it's regular buy and sell transaction. But, but uh, you should know that Hashem is watching you and everything is recorded. And no matter what you do, sooner or later, you're going to have to pay the price. And the Gemara also said, Rabbi, Eliez, Rabbi Elazar says, they are deceiving with the body and deceiving with the money, which means you deceive him and make him lose energy. You make him work very hard. And in the end, you never, you never give him what you told him because you never even had it. It's just tricking. However, when it comes to educating your children, there's different rules sometimes. Sometimes you're allowed to tell them something that there's no chance that I get to save them from a sin. You know, your son went to a bad place, and, uh, you know, and he said to you, I don't want to come. So come home. No, I don't want to come. Come. I don't want to come. So you tell him, okay, I, I, when you come, I'll give you $100. Don't go over there. I'll give you the money. Don't go with them. Come home. I'll give you the money that you're supposed to make over there. And then when he come, you tell them, you fool, I'm not only going, not going to give you the money. I'm going to give you two smack and put you in a room for a week, right, for your chutzpah. Now he comes and says, you liar, you liar. Don't get too excited. Why? You have permission sometimes to deceive him, to save him from making a very big sin. Also, one doctor sent a question to one of the gdolim, to the big rabbis, that, one, that he's a, he has a patience. It's every week the same chutzpah here. Same thing every week. So he, the, the doctor sends the question that uh, he has a patient, and the patient's situation is, is not so good, but he's not in a life threat. So the doctor is a religious doctor in Israel. He asks if he's allowed to tell the patients, you know, your situation is really, really bad, and your life is in a risk. So if I would be you, I would start at least becoming religious, because you never know, maybe you won't make it even another month. In the meantime, this person gets afraid, and he said, well, since I'm going to die anyway, I might as well wake up now before it's too late. And then he become religious. And then he see three months. He call up his doctor. Doctor, you told me I have maybe a month. I'm already three months, and I feel much better. See? Thanks to making tshuva, you became better. 
You understand? So now, if he finds out in any way that the doctor tricked him, did the doctor make a scene or not? There's big arguments about it. Some say, no, you're allowed. Chazonish was asked if the speaker is allowed to exaggerate or to make up stories that make people strong in their faith, even though it never happened in reality, and thanks to that, to make people religious, if they're allowed. So the Chazonish say, to save the life of a person is a very big thing. Nobody will ever complain to you if you save their life in a way that they don't like. The bottom line, you save my life. That's what's important. So eventually, he will thank you. Doesn't matter. When he find out, you tricked him. But in the end, you saved his life. So what is he going? To sue you? He's going to send you a thank you card. Even though you tricked me, I owe you my life. Thanks to you, I'm alive. This is here. Now, what if life of eternity, he will never stop thanking you. You got the point? Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Tarfon was a very rich man, very holy man, and he had a lot of money. And Rabbi Akiva said to him, I can buy you a beautiful field. Give me money, I'm going there, I'll buy you the field. He went there. After a few, a few months, Rabbi Tarfon said to him, can you take me to see that field that you bought for me? I'm curious. I'm going to that direction. He said, come, come, yeah, I'll take you. He took, you, he took him into yeshiva. He looks at the yeshiva, I see everyone sitting and learning. So he said to him, oh, you told me you're taking me to the field. What's this? He said, yeah, that's the field I meant. Field that brings a lot, of, a lot of results. You see, I planted everything for you here. And look how much profit they make for you, all these people, with your money. So Rabbi Tarfon wasn't like us. We would get very angry, sue him, right away call the lawyer, crook. Rabbi Tarfon kissed him and said, bless you, thank you, you know. So, I don't want you to get the wrong impression here, but the idea here is, in the long run, he owes you a lot, because he did him a big favor. Some say no. Even though it's saving his life, the Torah say, do stay away from lies. And even if you make someone religious with lying to him, it's not going to be blessing in it. It's going to be religious a year or two, and then he's going to go back to what he was. Maybe that's the reason why many people become religious, and after a while, all of a sudden, they go back to the hearing. You understand? You wonder to yourself, how can it be if this person saw the truth? How are you giving up eternity for this nonsense? We all have desires. Many times there's a strong desire, and they surrender to their desires. But sometimes they begin to give speeches against the Torah. Ah, I thought it's real. What's going on here? It didn't start kosher. It ended up also not kosher. So the Gemara continues. The Gemara says like this. What's worse, to deceive a person and make him work very hard with his body and energy and sweat, and in the end you tell him, no, I was just joking, or to deceive him with money? He buys something, and now he found out you tricked him with $300. When he worked for you and you told him, I'm going to give you this and this, I'm going to give you that suit. You know what? Help me out. When we get there, if the suit is still there, I'll give it to you. Now you know it's not there already. And he's willing to take the risk. Maybe I'll help him. Maybe I have the suit there. It's worth it for me. And then when you come there, it's not there. He doesn't know you tricked him. But now you want to make tshuva. You want to clean yourself in front of Hashem. So which one is worse? Deceiving him with making him work for nothing? or actually getting money out of him, or making him spend double. What do you think it's a worse thing? 
Which one is the worst deceiving? With the money, with work? So we have disagreements here. Oh, that's very good. The Gemara say, which one is worse? Money, you can give back. The energy that he burned, you cannot give him back. If a person works uh, a week, and now he has back pain, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm very sorry. Let's return the video, rewind one week. Pretend it never happened. What do you mean? I have back problems because of what you did. Oh, I don't know. I, I was skinny and I lost even more weight, which is not good for me, or anything like this. So, oh, I wasted time here because of that I didn't do such and such and such other things. This cannot be returned. Money, okay, forgive me. Here is your 300 bucks. Forgive me. Goodbye. So now he got it. So he's happy. In the end, it's like nothing happened. So with taking his energy is even worse. All right, let's continue. Oh, this is what I just said before. Someone who insults his friend in public, insult anyone in public, it's like spilling his blood. The Gemara say, yeah, that's true. When you insult a person in public, embarrass him, what happened to his face? Became very red. And then after a while, become very white. What's going on? So the, the body of a person has a lot of red blood cells. And it's, it's like balls of blood. So what happened? When you insult him, they explode and all the blood comes out. Why you don't see the blood dripping from the face? Because there's a skin. So the, the blood is really under the skin and the skin is clear. So you can see all the red is really blood. If there was no a skin, if you make a hole now in the skin, all the blood comes out and a lot of blood because it already came out of the system. Then later, this blood absorbed back in and then it becomes all white. But the Gemara says, it's like really spilling his blood. Then the Gemara come and say, Amar Rabbi Hanina, three goes, three, I mean, everyone, everyone, every sinner goes to hell except three. Three people get saved. I should correct myself again. Three, three people, everyone goes to hell, except three that stays in hell, which means everyone who goes to hell eventually comes out of there. Why? Hell, Gehenom, it's dry clean for the soul. Shh, cleaning all the stains. Very painful, it's horrible over there. I said it in the past, Auschwitz is a picnic compared to what over there, but the good news is that when people went to Auschwitz, they never knew if they ever come out or no. They knew either we be here, can be here 20 years, we can die here, much the chance to come out of here, almost none. And most of them didn't come out. But here, if you know Torah, and the day you died, and God sends you over there, and he tells you how many years you're going to be there, so you're counting the hours. Oh. I have another, another 50 million, 700,000 and 51 hours. So, you know, and you count, it takes sometimes a long time, but in the end, the person comes out of there. When a person knows there's a chance to come out, it gives him 
energy to take the, the pain. When he knows you're here forever, what's the point? There's nothing to lose already, I'm a lost case. But three do not come out. Everybody else get clean, the, the sins stay over there, and the soul comes out pure. Three do not come out of there, Hashem Yerachem. Who? A person who went with a married woman that belongs to another man and made a sin with her. One time it's enough, you don't need routine. One time, and he died without tshuva. That's it. This person is finished. So if you know anyone like this that cheated and he went with a married woman and he died, Chiloni, died not religious, here is the, he's the one that the Torah speaks about. And someone who embarrassed people in public. Don't care. Hey, why are you lying? I know you're lying. No, don't believe him. Even if you're right. But you embarrassed him in front of everyone. Or sometimes uh, if you, uh, you insult the speaker, or, or I don't know, whatever it is, or your newspaper reporter, you make an article about the person, and now the whole world knows about him. Without you, nobody would know it. Now he's afraid to come out to the street for months now from the embarrassment. Somebody like this goes into Gehenom and doesn't come out of there. Then the Gemara says like this, another person, which is really the last two, it's really one, is making funny names to people knowing it's embarrassing them. Sometimes people are happy with their names. In our generation, there's all kinds of funny names, but people call themselves like this, like crazy. Uh, what's your name? Crazy Eddie. It's not embarrassed. He, they ask him on television, what's your name? I am the, the famous Crazy Eddie. He's proud of it. Then I'm allowed to call him Crazy Eddie. Why? You call yourself like this. I'm not embarrassing you. Or someone that is very, very tall. So they call him Aricha, uh, Aroch. Uh, long, uh, long, or Tower, or, or Eiffel Tower. All kinds of nicknames like this. If he himself smile when you tell him, or he, he likes the actual nickname, no problem. Or the Gemara say, they call one of them Shinena. So the Gemara say, Shinena, there's an argument what it means. Shinena can be Shinaim, teeth, but he has big teeth, there was no braces yet, so maybe his teeth are coming out, so they call him Shinena. Or that is Shanun. Shinena can be Shanun, means very sharp, very sharp brain. You understand? So one rabbi was calling his friend Shinena. So most likely he was, was a genius. It's like a nickname for a genius, right? So if it's a, if a name that a person agrees with, no problem. But if it's a name that embarrasses him in front of everyone, you see, he become red when you call him that name. Like I have a friend, I made him a nickname when one time when we were laughing. So he told me, I don't care, you call me this name, but make sure don't call me next to these people, this name. Which means when we're together, he's happy with the name. But when he's in front of these people, he's thinking, what are they thinking that he called me this name? You, me and him know why I'm calling him this name. That's why we laugh all the time, because it's a funny thing. But with them, they may not understand, so they interpret it in a wrong way. That's why he doesn't want. The best way is not to mess with this. Just call everyone with his name and finish. Now, the Gemara says like this. It's better for a person that he made a sin 
not better. It's not as bad. That's the right word. If he made a sin with a woman and then he doesn't know if she was married or not, doubt. Maybe yes, maybe not. 50-50. Someone told him, no, she already got a get. Someone said, no, the get, she never got it. She lied to you. Now he has a doubt. It's not as bad as insulting a, peop a person in front of an audience of people. It's like mamash killing him, murdering him. So the Gemara says like this, Amar David HaMelech Lifnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu King David said to God, Ribbono Shelolam, Master of the Universe, you know that if they would rip my flesh with knives, cutting all my skin, and my blood would fall, my blood will not fall, would not drip on the floor. Why? Where is the blood? It's already no blood left in my, in my body. That's what he's trying to say. From the embarrassment that the people used to embarrass him. That telling him the story with Bacheva, Eshet Ish, you send her husband to die in a war, you took his wife, all this story. When he didn't even make a scene. It was completely innocent. But this is just to show us what David, how David Amelech felt. And he said, not only, not only that they embarrass me, even when they learn Torah, they learn negaim ve'aholot. They learn Tuma in a hoel, when there's impurity in a place, when there's ceiling. Or they learn negaim, all kinds of uh, sicknesses in the skin, leprosy, this, baheret, uh, sapachat, all these sicknesses that the Torah mentioned in the skin, that the, the hair is growing white. And you know, and you have to be isolated and shave the and shave the air, etc., etc. When they learn all these things, they ask me, David, someone who goes with a married woman, what's his end? The amplifying for him, like he's the one. And I told him, David Amelech said to Hashem, Mitato bechenek. Someone who went with a married woman, the Jewish court choked him to death. That's his punishment. You know what does it mean, choking? Uh, what does it mean, choking? Putting a blanket or a pillow on his, on his mouth until he chokes while he's sleeping? No. They have a special rope. They go around his neck. One person stands on that side, one person stands on that side. They tell him, make tshuva, make vidu, ichatati, aviti, clean yourself, ask forgiveness. And then when they get the permission, each one pull after a minute or two, that's how he die. This is the easiest way to die. There are four ways. Stoning, burning, sword, and choking. When the Torah did not describe how to kill him in a court, we give him the benefits of the doubt and give him the easiest way to die, which is what I just mentioned. It's the easiest way. I don't want even to describe you stoning and burning. We know just enough from the news today. Let's not add. But this is the, supposedly the easiest. So David HaMelech said to him, when they execute him, they execute him with choking, but if he made tshuva, he has a share to the world to come. Okay, so he died. He was supposed to die 80, he died 60, died 40. He lost a lot of life, but he goes to heaven after. He has a share to the world to come. But someone who embarrasses his friend has no share to the world to come, which means David HaMelech is answering them back. 
I know who you're talking about. You're trying to say it's me, right? Someone, if you were right, then I deserve to get choked and die, but I have a share to the world to come. But you, for making fun like this, just lost your share to the world to come. So who's worse? And yet, the Gemara says, Someone thinks David Amelech made a sin in any way is wrong. He didn't make a sin. So why Hashem got upset at him? In your level, you should have done it in a cleaner way. Shouldn't have, should have not done it that it looks like a trick. He could have done it in a very easy way. You deserve to die. Let's execute him and finish. Not thinking politics, what the people are going to say. He was doing it in a way that nobody will have supposedly any complaint, and in the end it became worse. So, the Gemara says like this, Amar Marzutra Bartuvia. Marzutra Bartuvia? That's his name. Zutra, it's small. Bartuvia, the son of Tuvia. So I guess he was a small person, that was his nickname. He's the son of Tuvia. What does it mean, the name Tuvia? The greatness of God. Tuv, it's greatness. Right? The good. Ya, it's Hashem. Tuv, Ya. And we will bless God. Ya, it's Hashem. Yud and Hey. Tuv, call Tuv. All the best, right? We say it. So Tuv is the best thing, okay? Amar Rav, in the name of Rav. Amar Rabbi Shimon Hasida has many opinions who really say that. And this is, the, this is what they say. And Amar Rabbi Shimon and also Rabbi Yochanan say in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. It's better. So many sources we have, many different sources. It's better for a person to throw himself into the fire than not to embarrass his friend in front of people. And we learned that from Tamar. Remember the story with Judah and Tamar? Judah went, Judah had two sons. First one was Mary Tamar, died. Second one married to do mitzvah yibum, also died. When a woman killed one husband after the other, not that she killed, but everyone who gets married to her die, she receive a title that you don't want. It's called Isha Katlanit, a fatal, fatal woman. Everyone who marry her, you can start saying Kaddish on him before the wedding even. Just engage, they break the glass, it gadal with Kaddish, tomorrow you hear he's finished. Why? There's already a record. So she comes to Yuda. He said, I want to get married to your third son. He said, but he's young, very young. She said, okay, I'll wait. He said, he said to her, wait for him until he grow up. He'll be able to be your husband. Still a, a little kid. Wait until he'll be a man. It, she didn't have to wait that long, because in those days, people just used to get married age 13 already. 50 years ago, your grandparents check what age they were. In uh, Morocco, Bukhara, Iraq, Iran, 12, 13, they already had kids, ma. That's it. What do you think? He's a, he's a household, he's a head of the family, age 20, already have four kids. You know? This is how it was. People were much more mature than today. Today, a person age 30 is like 15 in the old days, in his head. The way how people behave and talk, how spoiled they are, how, what nonsense you hear from them. And then it's very interesting because there is a rule. Old people, if they learn Torah all their life, the older they get, the more sharp and smart they become. But people who don't learn Torah, the older they get, the more stupid they become. It go back, it's like a circle. 
when they get to a certain age, from now on, they begin to drop. They drop in their intelligence, in their wisdom, and there's a lot of stupid things come from their mouth, big embarrassment they make. And then they need attention like when they used to be kids, like 65, 70, 75, already every five seconds he needs attention from his grandchildren, from his children, call him, come take me, help me, this, that. It's all for attention, like the little kids, how they cry, they want candy. But if he learns Torah, he can be 100 years old. He's only becoming greater and greater, like a spring. More and more and more coming constantly. So if a person in our day begins to become smart in a very late age, why? Because he's not mature. He grew up in rotten society like today. And he become old. From the minute he become old, he become more stupid. He has a very short period of time that he can use his wisdom. Not that many years, maybe 20 years, 25 years, and that's it. From that moment on, he becomes stupid. It's not as smart as before. And that's what happened here. Too many years to mature, and then the rest of the years, you're going down on your intelligence, and this is it. But then in those days, it wasn't like this. When Rav Ovadia became the Dayan in a court, it was like our kids already. Age 18, he already knew everything. All the Torah, all the laws, can sit and be a judge. But today, what kid can be a, a judge in 18? He knows two masachtot maybe by then. There's always an exception to the rule. I, I don't know if I told you that. that one time there was a shiduch. It was only one generation ago. And they came to a very rich man and they told him, there's a great guy for your daughter. What is it? He says, 14 years old and he finished the whole Talmud. Everything. He knows every line in the Talmud, thousands of pages, very complicated. Everything he knows. 14. He said, okay, if that's the case, I'll sponsor him, I'll buy him a place to live, I'll give him money, he can sit and learn, I'll make him my son-in-law. My son so when he went to make the engagement, he see the girl, the girl saw him, everything works out, they like each other and everything. Then they found out that the boy is 15, so they canceled the shiduch. He said, why are you canceling? You told me he's 14 years old. You told me 14 years old, that's something special. But 15, it's nothing special. <laughs> he knows the whole Talmud. Everyone in this age should know the Talmud. 14, it's special. <laughs> Today you take 15 years old kids, if they know two Mishnayot by heart, you all day walk like a peacock. Why are you so happy, Moshe? My son is a big chacham. Why? He knows two mishnayot by heart. Tell him, tell him, Yitzchak. Tell him. <laughs> two mishnayot he knows by heart. He makes a party, he brings balloons. This is what's going on. All right, anyway, time is running out. So let's try to finish it. It says like this. Now, this is a very famous Gemara. This Gemara, it's one of the, not only that it's famous, it's teaching us a very important concept in Judaism. Very important. Every Jew must know and understand this Gemara. It's called Tanuro Shel Achnai. The argument, the famous argument between Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim. There's all the rabbis against one rabbi. Big argument. 
What's the argument? They're arguing about a special, a special oven. An old-fashioned oven from 2,000 years ago. It's like a hole in the ground. They put uh, ceramic around it. And that's how they used to bake things and, and, and cook or whatever. Why they call it tanuro shel achnai? Tanur means an oven. Why they call it tanuro shel achnai? The oven of achnai. What's achnai? So the Gemara says, There was somebody very impure, achnai's name. So the same thing that person was tameh, was impure. This oven became impure, and they use an expression to give us an example how bad is the situation of the oven. It's impure. They put food that is not pure in there, and the entire oven became impure. However, there is one, that's the source of the argument, that this oven is built in pieces. It's not one integral piece. Its pieces connect together. Many of the things that we have today, we put them together, assemble. The question is now, if only one piece got impure, if it makes everything else also impure, or you just replace that piece. That's now the argument. Or once it got connected, it has a, a judgment of one piece. Doesn't matter now that it can be taken apart. It's a very important argument. It applies to many things in our life, to the laws of Shabbat, to many laws. Rabbi Eliezer say it's pure. You can pure this tanur. Chachamim say impure. What's the argument? Let's see. Rab, that day the Gemara say Rabbi Eliezer answer all the questions in the world. Anything they had, he had an answer. He, he made his points very clear. And they did not accept from him. Say so still, he didn't convince us. This is plural against single. What's the law? One against many, we go with the many, right? Even though if you know, I made a whole lecture about this topic, it's called quantity or quality. Recently, a week ago, we put it in a website. When the Torah is speaking about chachamim, they're not talking about quantity in bodies, talking quality, quality of the chachamim, which means Sometimes one chacham can be better than ten together, depending on his real level. But over here we are talking a very big amount of rabbis against one. He's very big, but each one of them is huge. So here, here we have also quality and quantity and the size of the chachamim. Not only quantity, also quality is higher than him. If you add them together, for sure, each one of them, some of them are bigger than him. He's big. But there's a lot of big ones on the other side. So he said, okay, you don't accept all my proofs? Fine. If I'm right, this tree, there's a carob trees. You know, carobs is a very, very hard thing to eat. Nobody eats it today because it's so bad, it's so hard. And it had seeds in it, and it's very hard to, to swallow. Looks like a piece of stick with a little sugar in it. So that's carobs, those blacks that we sometimes see them in Tubishvat once a year for a day or two in a store. So the, he said, if I'm right, now, now we are talking now magics. People in those days had the power to do magics. What to do magics? Real magics. They, it's called practical Kabbalah. There's the theoretic Kabbalah and practical Kabbalah. 
What's the difference? Learning all the things about Kabbalah and not using it for your benefits, it's no problem. You learn, you know Kabbalah, fine. The problem begins when you start using this Kabbalah for your benefits, or to benefit people, or to make money. Like today, there's millions of crooks out there. The rule is today, very simple, and don't have to call me ever again, because I get a lot of phone calls about this every week. Everyone watch this lecture. Anyone, no matter what he call himself, a rabbi, a Kabbalist, a Mekubal, he's very well known in a community, he has very nice beard, he learned many years Torah, he has great letter of recommendation, whatever the case may be. Anyone who sits in a place and invites people or people come to him without invitation to give them some kind of a kamea, parchment, or any special box, or liquid, or paste, or any kind of or, or, or red string to put on their hand, or all kinds of special blessing, or you know, money exchange, we're gonna do this for you and this for you according to Kabbalah, etc., etc. Anyone who does it and receive money for it is a crook. Don't, doesn't matter who it is. Most famous rabbi in the world, stay away from these people. Everyone who goes and gives the money is a complete fool. There's no other words to describing. It's like taking the money and burning it. And sometimes the things that they give you will make you a horrible damage to your life or to your children. To help you, they won't help you. Even if you're going to see a temporary help from what they do, in the long run, you will pay 10 times worse. Why? Because Hashem did not make the world hocus pocus. You're going to be wicked and you give $200 to some kind of crook and he's going to write something and tell you, put it in your pocket, nothing will happen to you. The, the Satan cannot touch you, don't worry. No. Eventually he will touch you big time. Now remember, even if they gave you something that it's, that it's true, they write something and from a thousand years ago we have it in a book, they copy it from very big Kabbalists of a thousand years ago when people used to be very holy. In the time of that Kabbalist, there was very, very holy people. If someone holy writes it, then the demons, the angels, the bad angels, they don't, they're afraid to deal with this because it's a very important person. But people in our generation, they are far away from being holy, very far. They're greedy, they have money greed, women issues. Lashonara issues, anger issues, pride, ego, laziness. Ooh, I can give you a list from now until next year. How many defects everyone has. And this person write those names of the angels on a piece of a parchment, most likely will damage you more and to himself later on. He's going to pay a very heavy price for it. If he comes and tells you, I'm a student of Rav Sharabi, Rav Mordechai Sharabi, and prove to you that he is, no problem. Mordechai Sharabi, Alava Shalom, was a holy man. If he wrote something, then I can sleep well at night. But you already, it's not the same. It's a different world. 40 years ago and, for, and today, the way the world is, even if you're naturally tzaddik, with what's happening in your life, you're not supposed to write this. Remember, don't mess with this. I know it's, now it's like an epidemic. One brings his friend and his friend and his cousin and everyone fall in the same stupidity. Not to talk that sometimes he's ending with molesting and all kinds of other problems that these kind of crooks do. Because some of them are complete crooks. Some of them at least means well. 
they think, you know, I'm doing a mitzvah, which they're not, but they mean well. But some of them, to begin with, are crooks. They laugh after you leave with their assistant over there. <laughs> what, another fool. They sit and laugh at you. Why? Crooks. There are crooks everywhere. There's not only crooks in, uh, among the Gentiles. There are many crooks among us. There's no difference. Crook is a crook. Greed for money drives people to do very bad things. That's why you gotta get rid of it. Now, we are now talking about 2,000 years ago when the world was a different place. When the Gemara say about somebody that is holy, then you know he's holy. Because he got the stamp of Hashem. You see, if I come to you and say to you about somebody that is a big tzaddik, those of you who think I'm an important person, they would follow my advice that is also good. Those who doesn't know me or those don't care about me or don't whatever, they say, ah, who cares what he said? He said, big deal. If a crook from the street that looks like a murderer, tattoos, this, I don't know, earring here, earring here, all these stupid things that people do, he come and tell you, this is a very holy man. Listen to me, go to him. You won't even listen to him. Look at you, you tell me who's holy, who's not. First, take care of yourself that we, we, we even take an advice from you. If Rabbi Ovadia Yosef or Rav Eliashiv come to you and say, this is a very good rabbi, you can go and learn by him. Now, you don't have so many doubts anymore. Oh, look who recommends him. In my own ears, he told me, go to him. If the Rambam would come, let's say you can see now the Rambam, you bring him back to heaven from 900 years ago. He came now here and he said, this rabbi is the best in the world. Oh, wow, now nobody ever doubt. Rabbi, here, take my money, invest for me. I trust you. I don't need uh, witnesses, no need signature. The Rambam say you are 100%. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes and say, this is a very big Chacham, Hashem, you have any doubt? Up to now, maybe you had 1% doubt, even when the Rambam say. Right now, when Hashem come and say, this is a very holy Chacham, righteous, Rabbi, important, you have a doubt about this Rabbi after you heard it from God himself? No, no doubt, right? So when someone that HaKadosh Baruch Hu call him a Chacham, Right? It's for sure a chacham. You agree so far? And what does the Torah say? Ashochad ye'aver ene chachamim v'yisalef divrei tzadikim. The bribe, the greed, money, will blind the eyes of the righteous people and twist the right words and switch it with bad words. Why? The greed for the money. So if Hashem call them chachamim, then for sure they are chachamim. And what did Hashem say? Be very careful with bribe, it will kill you. And that's what happened. Ah, every person comes in, 200, 300, 500, she makes plenty of money, and that's it. There is one here now, he makes copies, he doesn't even write. <laughs> $200 on a piece of paper. What a great business. You sit by your copy machine and press the button. Another copy, 200, 200, 400, 600, 800, and foolish people standing online, and you make copies, and all you do is change the name. There's a line. Every second, okay, what's your name? Oh, here. You fold it, put it in, 200 bucks, next, fold it in. Maybe they see, they write, no, so at least they work two, three hours. I make for, even though it's nonsense, 
But at least you pay them for their time. They sit with a feather, like they write a mezuzah, three hours, they write all the names of the angel, they fold it, they give it to you. The parchment costs them a few dollars. So you know what? It does, it's, it's not helping, but at least you saw that this person sat for three hours and walked, so you don't feel as bad. Listen, I, he walked four hours and I pay him $200, $50 an hour, no, what can I do? But here, they don't, it doesn't even work. He takes text, one minute, makes a copy, fold it, put it in a piece of tape, and give it to you. That's what's going on. So I hope after this, it's enough for people to call and ask. I have this Kabbalist. They do this. They want this. Enough with this nonsense. And if this Kabbalist tell you, who, who told you that I'm not good? Don't be a fool and start saying, he told me that you're not good. Just use your head not to, make, not, not to instigate and make wars in a wall. You don't need to. Somebody told me, that's it, it's clear. If he's pressuring you, you can say it in my name. I'm not afraid of them. They want to have a problem, they can come to me. But the, the idea is that you don't need to go into details with him. I don't want to do it. Goodbye. Finished. That's it. Even for free, don't take it. That's the whole point here. Even if he comes, okay, you don't want to pay me, take it anyway. Tell him, no, thank you. I don't need it. No, take it. Believe me, it's going to help you. Tell him, thank you. I don't want it. I'll cry to Hashem, I pray to Hashem for my problem, and He's going to help me. More than a piece of paper that someone like you writes. And that's the truth. So now, since time ran out, let me just finish this Gemara and we'll finish for today. It says like this. He is able to make magics, because he knows practical Kabbalah. He said, if I'm right, this carob tree will fly in the air. Comes out with his roots and fly in the air. So what happened? The carob tree came out of, with its roots and flew in the air 100 amah, 50 meters, 150 feet from here to across the street, more. It flew in the air. Some say much more than that, 400 amah, 200 meters, 600 feet. They're arguing how, it's hard to measure how, how much in the air it flew. Doesn't matter, we got the point. It came out, it's already enough. Big, clear magic in front of everyone. Amrulo, they told him, the rabbis, we don't learn the Jewish halacha for magics. Magic does not influence the decision. We are the majority, and you are the minority, and we are right. That's what the Torah says. He said, if I'm right, the water will prove. What's the water? The water coming from the mountain, going down to the valley, right? The water started to go against gravity. You know how you rewind in a video and the water goes up now all of a sudden? He did it in reality in front of their eyes. They told him, We don't learn from magics with water like this. Because the way of the water always to go to the lowest place. They always find the way. He made the water go in reverse from the same way they came. And so we don't learn from these kind of things. He told them, if I'm right, the walls of the yeshiva will prove it. The walls of the yeshiva were about to fall, starting to fall. He took Otle Bet Midrash Lipol. Then one of the Chachamim was Rabbi Yeshua. He stopped it. They were about to fall. Almost it fall. The whole yeshiva will collapse. Rabbi Yeshua said, why you, the walls, 
have to participate in the argument between the sages. Stay out of the business. Don't cooperate with the argument. So the walls were standing over there. Then it says like this, because of the honor of Rabbi Yoshua, the walls paused a little bit tilted, not the way it was, like this, crooked. No. Then it says like this, if I'm right, Rabbi Eliezer said, I will show you a proof that I'm right, an echo will come out of heaven, out of the sky, and all of you is going to hear. And they looked up, and what did they hear? An echo. An echo comes and say, why do you bother Rabbi Eliezer? Don't you know the halacha, the law is always like him in every part of the Torah? That should be enough, no? Rabbi, the Rabbi Yoshua, the same one who stopped the walls, got up and said to him, Lo bashamayimi. The argument in the Torah issues, we do not go by angels or dreams or any message from heaven. We do not go. We have one Torah and it was already given to us. Even Eliyahu Navi. The angel, Eliyahu, Elijah, come and say, this is the law, we don't listen to him. Why? We already have the Torah. Thank you, Eliyahu, we appreciate your help, but we're not allowed to listen to you. No. So he told him, it doesn't matter what they say from heaven. Amar Rabbi Irmiah, we already received the Torah, Rabbi Jeremiah says. Enanu mashgichim bebat kol. We don't care about echoes. Then, then, then the Gemara say, I guess the next day, when the argument was over, Rabbi Natan was walking somewhere and he saw a vision of Eliyahu Anavi. He saw Eliyahu Anavi. He told Eliyahu Anavi, what did Hashem do in the time of the arguments? He was doing all these magics and we were consistently saying that this is the law. So he said to him, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was smiling and saying, my children, one, one me. My children, one me. Which means I gave them a test, very hard one, and they passed the test big time. So, it says like this, that day, they brought all ta'arot she'tiyeh Rabbi Eliezer u'srafum ba'esh. Rabbi Eliezer, you know, when a woman has nida and all kinds of things, then, they, then she has to check herself with a cloth. And they bring it to the rabbi and he say, kosher, not kosher, kosher, not kosher, kosher. All the women who receive a kosher notice, they say, bring all of it back, all these clothes. They burn it and say, we cannot rely on him anymore after what he did, all these things. Someone has to go and tell him that we put him on a ban. He's not allowed to answer questions and to answer answers about questions in halacha. Not allowed to teach Torah anymore. So I say, who's going to tell him? Now everyone is afraid to mess with him. If he's able to do such a thing, who is the brave one who will dare to come and tell him, we're putting you on a ban? So they said, Rabbi Akiva said, I will go. Rabbi Akiva said, why? If a person that is not in the right level will go and will tell him, he can destroy the whole world from his anger. It's better somebody that is clean will go, which means Rabbi Akiva knows about himself that he doesn't have any sins. I can face him. 
Otherwise, I'm not going to jump into the fire and kill myself. What am I going I'm going to pretend that I'm a holy man and two minutes later I'll be dead in front of everyone? It's the biggest embarrassment. If I go, that means I know I'm clean. No? So Rabbi Akiva, what did he do? He wore black clothes. You know, like the Bedouin in the desert, they put all these black things around them. Or when people mourn for their death by the goyim, they, they wear black. And he came and sat 400 amot far away from him. 200 meters, 600 feet. Very far. Like two blocks. He's calling him from far away. He was afraid to come near him. Amar le Rabbi Eliezer Akiva, mayom yamim. Akiva, why are you behaving so strange today? All the time you come to me, you come. We're very close to each other. Why are you talking to me from there? He told him, Rabbi, I'm afraid I have bad news. Your friends, the other rabbis, they isolated themselves from you. Not they isolated you from them. They put themselves on a band as opposed to you. So he started to rip his clothes. He took off his shoes, sat on, a, on the floor, and started to cry. The Gemara say, that moment, the world lost one-third of the olives that were on the trees, fell on the floor, all over the world. There's many olive trees, billions of olives. All the cans you buy come from somewhere. Italy, Greece, Israel. Everything fell down. A third fell down. And a third of the wheat died out, dried out. A third of the wheat in the world. Imagine what would happen in a stock market to the price of the wheat. And a third of the barley. A triple damage. Wheat, barley, and olives. Then the Gemara say, all the doughs that women were making like bread, right? The dough started to rise like crazy, without any sense. It's usually rise a little bit. You put it in the oven, it rise so much. Everybody realized something is fishy here. Rabban Gamliel was on a boat. The president of Israel was in the middle to the, on the way to get to the port on a boat. It was such a big wave were rocking the boat. He said, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabban Gamliel said, I think that what's happening to me has to do with what happened to Rabbi Eliezer ben Orkanus. That was his name. Amad al-Raglav ve'amar. Rabban Gamliel stood in the boat and said, Ribono shel olam, God, dear God, you know that I put him in a band, not for my honor, nothing personal between me and him. I love him. It's nothing personal. And I did not do it for any member of my family. I did it for your honor, to prevent unnecessary arguments in the nation of Israel. I did it for the sake of heaven, and you know it. The ocean rested, became smooth again, no waves, no storm. Ima Shalom, there was a woman called Ima Shalom. Now you know why half of the Bukharian names Ima Shalom. That's the source. The Bidhu, the Rabbi Eliezer. The daughter, no, the wife of Rabbi Eliezer, she's the sister of Rabban Gamliel. 
which means he's his brother-in-law, and he puts him on a ban. Why? The truth is the truth. Doesn't matter we relatives. You marry to my sister. You went against the Chachamim, it's against the rules of the Torah. I have no choice. I'm the president, I gotta put you in a ban. From that moment on, she knew that her husband is such an important person. He knows how to do all these things, make the tree fly and all these things. She knew that when he comes to pray, until today the Ashkenazim, they fall down on their face and they put their hands like this. We, the Sfaradim, don't do it because of the words of the Zohar. But really, originally, that's the right way to put your hand down like this and to make a special thing, tachnun kaze, confession, a begging. So every time he wanted to go down, she went and stopped him. She didn't let him fall down on his face. She was afraid that her brother will die. She knew that you don't want to mess with this person, he's on a band. Why, he cannot go to shul, he has to daven alone. So she see him praying in a house. Up to now, he was going to pray with them in the shul. They put him on a ban. You're isolated. And now what happened? He, he has to pray at home. So when he comes to put his hand down, she comes, hey, come. No, no, no. She doesn't let him do it. One day was the head of Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the month. You know, the, in the old days, there were, not, there were no Jewish calendar yet. We have the Jewish calendar because the second Hillel, the grandson of Hillel, the president of the Sanhedrin, his grandson wrote this, the, the, the calendar until today. But before the calendar was written, every month they had to decide it on the spot when is Rosh Chodesh, based on the renewal of the month. I had a whole lecture about it. So sometimes there were arguments when is Rosh Chodesh. Today or tomorrow, because it falls right in the sunset, maybe a minute before, maybe a minute after, from the doubt, they beginning, they do two days Rosh Chodesh. That's why we have sometimes two days Rosh Chodesh, because sometimes the, month, the moon is short, it's a little bit less, sometimes it's full. So there's, there's an argument when is Rosh Chodesh, so she made a mistake, she didn't know if it's today or tomorrow. Or there is... Another problem that at the same time that she was not sure how he's going to pray, there was a poor person on the door begging for food, and she went to give money for the poor person, and she couldn't stop him. He put his head down and he started to pray to Hashem with his broken heart that is on a bend. And she told him, that's it. My brother is probably dead already. When Five minutes later, she heard people screaming on the street. Rabban Gamliel passed away. Come everyone to his funeral. Five minutes after he finally put his head down and prayed to Hashem. So he told her, how did you know? What, you holy, I have a holy wife and I didn't know? How did you know your brother died? How, how did you know? It's not like today, you turn your Facebook, you know everything happened, or internet, or, or telephone. You're here with me in the house, there's no way to know. He said, how do you know? She told him, this is how our fathers taught us. All the gates in heaven are closed. But when someone was deceived or hurt by others, someone was hurt 
and he prayed to Hashem with a broken heart. The heart is broken. For sure his prayer is getting accepted. And when I know how you upset from your situation with what happened, and I knew when you are so broken like this, when you're going to pray for Hashem about your situation, even though my brother did the right thing, just for your pain, his time came to die. From here we learn a lot of things. One of the things we learn, it doesn't matter. Someone comes to you and says, I had a dream, this is what we have to do. I see Eliyahu Navi. the Ben Ishchai came to me in a dream and told me, this is all nonsense. We don't go by messages from heaven. We go by the Torah. What's the Torah say? Once it was halakha, finished. That's one thing. Second thing we learn and we finish for today, how dangerous, how dangerous is to mess with someone that is chacham, that he knows Torah, that is really holy, that is righteous, to upset him even if you're right. Not to say that you are wrong. And even if you're right, but because of you, the Chacham got upset, who knows what you can expect to. Nevertheless, if you're wrong and you upset him, there's nothing to talk about. This is it. Why Hashem made it like this? To show you how important is the Torah. You can only become an important person, really important, in heaven, not only here, if you gain big amount of knowledge in Torah. Anything else brings you phony, phony respect. You make money, people respect you just because they need something from you, or because they're afraid of you, or because you make the decision in a shul. But they really cannot stand you. They will be very happy to see, you, to see that they get rid of you. All this respect that they give you when you big boss, or money, or politician, or president, or head of police, whatever it is, it's all fake respect. It's really hate that from the outside, they fake that they respect you. But when you gain a big level of Torah, the respect is the real respect because it's not respecting you, it's respecting Hashem. It's different. That's why if you hurt someone like this, if he wants to forgive you, it's not so simple. You still have a problem with Hashem. You may say to Hashem, what do you want? The rabbi forgive me. Yeah, he did, but I didn't. Because messing with him is like messing with me. Baruch Adonai Lo'olam, Amen ve'amen.